Well, before we get into the message, I do want to just celebrate something with you as a church. You know, it's our desire as a people to, to represent Jesus in ways that are helpful to the community that we're ministering in, and specifically the Neartown area. And this week we had an opportunity to serve, and, and, uh, and I sent out an invitation for those of you that were able to, to join Jeannie and I in serving at the elementary where my kids go to school. And so I asked for 10 or 12 volunteers to join us in being a part of this garage sale. Now, uh, how many of you like garage sales? Okay, so I don't. I, and if, after yesterday, I really don't. And I feel like I spent... 10 hours in my great-great-grandmother's house. It smelled, you know, that smell, that like a grandma house smell. No offense to any of you, those of you that grandmas and your house smell like this. But there's a smell, and so it's like in my pores. But, but it was for a good reason, so we had probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 100,000 items. I'm just guessing, but this is an incredible garage sale. It, it made for the school somewhere between ten dollars and $15,000, which is really, really incredible. And, and the need came up for volunteers. So I sent out an invitation. I said, hey, this is a great opportunity for us as a church to work alongside some parents in this school and just serve, just be faithful with the opportunity. And we had about 13 people show up, which was really, really incredible. And it was really a lot of fun to see. And um, people like Brittany and Jesse and John, and I won't be able to list them all off, but Andrew and Susan, and, and there were others just serving alongside these parents that I see every single week going to school. And I had many of these parents come up to me and say, you know what, Russell, I didn't even know that you went to church, <laughs> which I don't know what that says about me. Um, I didn't know you were pastoring a church, and I had no idea that there was even a church out there that had such selfless, servant-minded people. And, and I would just say, hey, awesome. This, this is, we have a whole group like this, and we just want to restore locally, and we want to let God use us to do something great in the city. It was a real reason, a real occasion for a celebration, and uh, it was a lot of fun to see Trenton and Signa there, and they brought Harper, and so it made us seem more real as a church. There's, we have children in our church and things like that. It just it was really incredible. Maybe the highlight for me was uh, uh, the time I spent next to Jeremy. Jeremy's back here, and, and, uh, and watching him take hundreds and hundreds of dollars and and welcoming people in a language that I didn't even know I knew. I actually know Spanish. And people come in, and they would say things to me in Spanish, and I would pick up one word out of about three sentences, and I would, like, respond, si, or, you know, or mucho dinero. And it would, like, register with them. Like, yeah, yeah, come, come on in, you know. And, um, but the principal, I'm standing next to him, and uh, at one point he looks at me, and he says, I'm going to visit your church. I said, awesome. You're welcome to come. We would love to have you. So anyway, this is who we are as a church, and I want you to know that as your pastor, I celebrate the fact that you so willingly came to serve in that way with very little, um, if any, um, compensation for your service. So let's continue to serve in this way and be people who are serving in our neighborhood. You know, great leadership is important. Many of you are leaders. You're business leaders. You lead in your home. You lead your children Maybe you're led by someone, but all of us lead someone. And leadership is important not only today, but it's important in the Bible. And the reality is that degree, the degree to which you are able to lead will determine the outcome of the time you spend leading. 
So just because you're a leader doesn't mean you're a good leader. And the thing with leadership is it's a craft that has to be cultivated. You have to increase your ability to lead. When I think of great leaders and terrible leadership, names come to mind. But my mind most often goes to the Bible, where we see examples of great leaders, and we see many examples of terrible leaders. As David mentioned, there are three types of leaders in the Old Testament. They are the prophet, the priest, and the king. The role of the priest appointed by God was to facilitate worship. There are two other kinds of leaders, the prophet and the king. And in a couple weeks, I'll talk about the prophet. But today, what I want to do is talk about the role of the king in the Old Testament. And this is very, very important and very significant, and specifically as we think about leadership. So a little background here on the role of the king. Kingship is very important in the ancient Near East. And this is the period of time that the Bible was written. It, it meant... To be a king meant you held sway over a settled region, and it's often centered around a city. Some people even understood the king to be a god, like people in Egypt, if you think back to the Exodus. They saw their king as a god, or representing a god at the very least. The, the king was considered to be someone that was, was divine and special and extraordinary by people. Well, God's chosen people, the descendants of Abraham, we know as is the Israelites, they were led in their early days by what's called a clan representative or a clan patriarch, if you can remember the name Moses. He ruled over the clan like a king, although he wasn't officially a king. Leaders were appointed over Israel, and it did not... They did not have to be, when you went from Moses to like Joshua, it didn't have to be a bloodline uh, passing down of kingship or of leadership. But later, Israel called upon men and women to lead them. They were people called judges. And these judges led them in battle. And some of them requested, hey, if I'm going to lead you in battle against oppressive nations, then I want you to give me the authority like a king. Maybe you have heard of the names Gideon and Deborah. Well, over time, these judges uh, seem to fail in their ability to lead because the book of Judges, which talks about the judges, ends in social chaos. And it's attributed to the lack of leader kings that knew how to lead. Well, over time, God appointed a king. It's interesting in the Bible when the first kings were appointed by God because it did not seem as if God really wanted the people to have a leader king. Samuel was the man called by God to appoint the first king. And he called this guy by the name of Saul. He was Israel's first king. He was appointed as king because he was known for his success as a warrior. And Israel was involved in many battles, and they needed a warrior king. It's interesting because the people begged for a king, and the scripture is very clear, this was not God's best for them to have a leader king. Look at 1 Samuel 
chapter 8, verse 7. And I'm going to be covering quite a few scripture, and so I put some of them on the board. 1 Samuel chapter 8, starting in verse 4, actually. The people have gathered together. They have been led by judges for years. Their situation is really, really troublesome. You see, the people having received a message from God through this man by the name of Moses, having received the law and the law telling them this is how they are to behave before God. And if they do the things in the law, they'll be counted as righteous. If they do not do them, they'll be considered unrighteous by God. They've been given a list of rules on how they're to worship God and relate to God Almighty. They're to come to God on His terms. But the years have passed. Their worship of Yahweh has been mixed with the worship of false gods. And it's become completely acceptable to them. The people begin to take their eyes off of God and they are troubled because there are nations wanting to conquer them. So 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4. The elders come together and say this. Look here in, in chapter 8, verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel, who is their spiritual leader, by the way, appointed by God, at Ramah. And said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Which is a real indictment on the condition of Israel. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. In other words, all these other nations are led by an earthly king. We want a king like them. Not only do we want our worship to be like theirs, we want for our governance to be like theirs. Appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. Here's why. Because the people requesting a king was not only a rejection of Samuel's leadership, it was a rejection of God's leadership in their life. They wanted an earthly king because their view of God's power had dimmed. As they worshipped other gods, their view of who God was and what he'd done for them and his power had dimmed. And so they became scared and they began to look for someone on the earth to rescue them and to deliver them from the power of the oppressing nations. They rejected God's leadership. At one point they looked to God. But now they kind of worship God and they kind of worship these false gods. And so their view of God was completely mixed up. They panicked and began to look to man, ultimately, to lead them. It makes me think about this point. As people, most of whom in this room, desire to honor God and live lives for God. And even for those of you that do not have a relationship with God, and you're kind of investigating what this whole thing is about. Frankly, this church is for you. We began this church for you to help you understand what the Bible says about who God is and who you are and why it matters. Here's the point. If we mix the worship of God with the worship of other gods, it dims our view of the one true God. You cannot take the God of the Bible as revealed in Scripture Mix in what you think is true about other gods and the worship of other gods and expect that you will see clearly who God is. 
we get a complete, robust, completely um, capable picture of who God is from the Bible. This Bible reveals who God is. And if we mix the worship of God like Israel did with the worship of other gods, it dims our view of God. So you cannot worship the God of the Bible and stuff. These are gods in our culture in our day. You cannot worship the, the, the God of the Bible and your success or your family or your children or your reputation. Or you, you cannot mix the worship of the God of the Bible and, and the Islam God Allah or any other God, or, or, or some pantheon, um, pantheon of gods, or combination of multiple gods. You cannot do it. You must look carefully at what the God of the Bible has revealed about who he is, and decide, will I worship that God? Because his claim is, I am the God above all gods. So you can't worship him and worship everybody else and say, this is completely okay. That's, that's not okay. Israel tried to do it, and they had their, their view of who God is dim. They got panicked in this situation, so they begged Samuel, their spiritual leader, for an earthly king. So what's, what's the problem, potentially, with having a leader king? Why is it that God is displeased, and it's an offense to Samuel, that they would have a leader king? Well, here, here's the first problem with the leader king, the earthly leader king. The first problem, and, and the most significant problem, is that he is a human being. He's imperfect. Saul was imperfect. There's something that we've talked about and seen the effects of called the sinful nature. And in the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, the world was not impacted by sin and brokenness. But whenever Adam and Eve chose evil, rather than trusting God's plan for their life, sin entered the world, and every person has been born into it, according to the Bible. And this sinful nature tends to, it causes us to lean away from God and to want to create our own gods and to distrust that the Bible reveals who God is. The problem with Saul and every other king on the earth, including our leaders today that operate like kings, is that they're human. I'm human. One thing that I say in our mission partner at PrEP, which is like our membership class, is, which is, I feel like is one of the most important things, is that, is that you need to recognize that as your leader, I am imperfect. I'm human. I have an inclination towards sinning and disobeying and setting up my own kingdom for my own purposes and my own glories. I know this is within me. So I discourage people from looking to me when at every turn of their life they ought to be looking to God. Well, the problem here for Saul as the first appointed king was that he was a terrible leader. One scholar says he's one of the most pathetic of all God's chosen servants. How would you like that to be written about you? By his actions, he disqualified himself three times from his role as king and he eventually died a fool insecure, chasing after a guy he was threatened by. And what we real, realize as we look through the Bible at his life, this man by the name of Saul, is that within every leader is a capacity to fail. And the reason is the leader king 
tends to ignore God. Now, I want you to think about something. You are a leader. You're leading something. There's something in your life that you lead as a king or like a king. You have a responsibility to a kingdom. It may be a small kingdom or a little bit bigger kingdom. Raise your hand if you are in business and you lead people on a team. Just raise your hand. Yeah, many of you do. Raise your hand if you're a father in your home and you lead your family. Just raise your hand. Raise your hand if, if you're a mom and you've got little kids that you're trying to tend to or, or you lead people. Just raise your hand. Yeah, all, all of you lead some group of people. And so we begin to think about this, what the Bible says about kings and examine our own role as an earthly king and how are we going to lead as kings. And something that we should be aware of is that as kings, we tend to ignore God in our kingship duties. Here's why. Because we like to be in control. We like for people to look to us. We tend to ignore God, and Saul did it. And all of us are led by people who lead us like a king. How many of you work for somebody? Just raise your hand if you work for somebody. How many of you are married and just realize that your wife is really the boss? Just raise up your hand. Yeah, yeah, me. See, the thing about the reality that we're led by kings is that we must recognize that people tend to follow kings blindly, ignoring God. This is the cost of having an earthly king, and it happened in Israel. They said, they said, God, give us a king. So God said, okay, they gave him one. And then this king ruled in a way that he ignored God. And then the people followed him in a way that they ignored God. And so what happened, God was moved further and further and further into the distance. In your role as king, you must never, ever, ever ignore God. You must never, ever, ever follow somebody ignoring God. Because there's no perfect earthly king. Yeah, it's interesting. We're certainly in the middle of a presidential race of sorts, trying to figure out who the GOP candidate's going to be and trying to figure out whether or not we're going to re-elect Obama. And it's so weird to me. Honestly, the whole thing is just really peculiar. As we look to our president, oftentimes in our culture, we look to our president as if it were possible for someone to lead us perfectly, providing the systems that we need and the people that in, 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 to, in the decisions that we need so that our country will just all of a sudden begin to function perfectly. Is that even possible? It's impossible. Our inclination is to look to our leaders as if they were, like Israel's leaders, perfect kings. And the reality is there is no leader on earth who is perfect. So as we think about even who are you going to vote for, and I'm not going to get into Republican, Democrat, Independent, all that kind of thing. What we must keep in mind is that, hey, it's important to make good decisions about who you vote for, but ultimately the leadership of our country and our human race is, requires that we look to God to look past earthly kings to the king of kings. Pray to him to move and to act in such a way that we can experience as much peace as possible here on this earth until it's all over. 
It's important to remember as you follow someone as a king to not expect them to be a perfect king because he or she is not one. It's important to remember as you're setting up your kingdom, dads, it's important to remember that that you're not perfect. So rather than leading in such a way that everybody looks to you, what you must do is lead in such a way that everybody looks to God. So Saul was not a perfect king. There's one that came after Saul. His name was David. He was quite successful in establishing his dynasty, and it lasted for 400 years. His dynasty was strong. And we know that from the dynasty of David would come another king. His name is Jesus. But we read a song, verse from a song in the Old Testament talking about the lineage or the kingship of David. Look in Psalm 132, verse 12. If your sons keep my covenant, God is speaking to David, my tes- in my t- testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. This is a promise to David. And the main responsibility of the king was the maintenance of righteousness. The responsibility of the king was to set up his kingdom in such a way that the people related to God in righteousness on his terms. And we talked about this last week, but God had very specific rules on how they were to relate to him. They were to come to him on his terms. God gave them the law and they were to be righteous. So the king is to maintain the righteousness in the kingdom, which is very significant. You know, as you're thinking about your own role as king, your main responsibility is to set up your kingdom in such a way that those you lead recognize that there is a God and that he is the ultimate ruler. Do you know that? Even in your business, you can lead in this kind of a way. When a difficulty comes up in your business, do you lead in such a way that people think that it's going to happen or not happen based on the decision you make as leader? Or are you leading in such a way to say, you know what, guys, I don't know what's going to happen here, but I'm going to pray to God that he would give me wisdom to make a great decision. You must set up your kingdom in such a way that those you lead recognize that there is a God and that he is the ultimate ruler. How about in your home? Are you leading in such a way in your home that your children or your spouse realizes that you're submitting yourself to a higher power? I know in my home, I tend to lead in such a way that would communicate to my kids that I, as daddy, know everything. Any other dads in here feel like they know everything? Maybe moms? Yeah, I I tend to lead in such a way that my kids look to me and over the years they would look to me as 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 what I would think is a perfect leader but I'm really not a perfect leader and so my job as a dad in conversations when difficulty comes up or questions come up is to take their little eyes and more specifically the eyes of their heart and as they begin to look to me for answers to begin just passing it on up to God when they ask me questions about this life, rather than just telling them what I think, what I ought to do is tell them what God thinks and open up the Bible before them and go, you know what, this is what God says about this. We're just trying to set up a little kingdom in our home with 
people who recognize that there is a God and that he is the ultimate ruler and that he has a plan for their life. Some of you have lived your life as if you are the king. And you've tried to set up your kingdoms and they fail. They've crumbled. The nations have come in and ruined you. You've set up your religious system. You've taken a little bit of the God of the Bible and the God of Islam and the God of um, no gods, Buddhism. The God, you know, you've taken all these things and you've kind of created this hybrid king. If you do that, really what you're saying is that you're the king because you can decide which of all of these is the best. And it's failing you. Can you believe for a moment that the king of kings, God Almighty, is ruler and worthy of our submitting to him as king? You know, many of the kings in the Bible were very, very wicked. It's really pretty crazy to, to hear about them. Rather than submitting to God for the good of the people, they led as if they were God. And because of it, the people suffered. They did. The people suffered because their earthly king led as if he were a God rather than pointing people to God. The people around you that you lead will suffer. You might not feel it right now, but they will suffer if you lead in such a way that you are our God. That you're communicating, hey, I'm basically like a God. But there were glimpses of hope along the way. There's a king by the name of Josiah. Second Kings, chapter 20, 22 and 23, tells the story of Israel's 17th king. He actually assumed the role of king at eight years old. His dad was assassinated, so he was king at eight years old. He ruled for 31 years. During the early part of his reign, Israel was an absolute mess. There were literally temples where people would go to offer sacrifices to Yahweh, and the priests of false gods like Baal would be leading the sacrifices to Baal. It would be the equivalent of us allowing people to worship uh, Buddha or the Hindu gods in the midst of us worshiping Jesus. This this would be very offensive, and frankly, it doesn't even make sense. Israel is an absolute mess Their nation is crumbling. They're weak. King Josiah assumes the role. There's this moment in his reign, once he becomes an adult, starts trying to make decisions about his kingdom, where he says, it's time to rebuild the temple. It's time to to renovate it. So he calls the priest to take the money that's been collected and to begin to renovate it. And in the midst of the temple, they find this book called the Book of the Law. Many scholars believe it's actually the Book of Deuteronomy. They take this book, they bring it to Josiah, and they read it. Now, mind you, whenever Josiah came into leadership, Israel was a mess. The worship of Yahweh was totally mixed into the worship of false gods. And so it might have been the first time Josiah had ever actually even heard God's word crisp and clear in his heart. And so they read these words to Josiah and look in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 11, at what happens. When King Josiah heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Now what this means is he was crushed. He opened God's word and he was crushed by it. Something had to give. He was repentant. He saw his nation 
living in such a way that was totally different than what God had set up and what God wanted in terms of his people relating to him in righteousness and obeying the law. So he repented of his sin and he led people to repent of their sins. Here's why. 2 Kings 22, 13. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us. Here is what it's like when kings do not submit to God and specifically to God's word. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning it. So the people repent and they renew the covenant that they made with God, promising to obey God. Here's a question for you. As a king, how do you respond if you were to open the Bible and read it? Do you submit to God's word? Now, it begins very simply with asking yourself the question, do you read the Bible during the week? If you do not read the Bible during the week, keeping it as a high priority as a part of your everyday life, then it's unlikely that you are submitting to God's word in your role as king. As a king, do you submit to God's word? Do the kings that you follow submit to God's word? Do the people that you look to for answers submit to God's word? The failure of the wicked kings to live up to the ideal that God had for them to set up their kingdoms in such a way that they would be governing righteousness, it began to cast a hope for people. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 talks about this hope of a king that would come someday. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. It's interesting in the Old Testament because when the prophets spoke, they began to speak about a king who would come and set up his reign in such a way that he would rule perfectly. The people recognized that the earthly king was imperfect and they longed for a king who could rule in such a way that the peace that they longed for could happen. The shalom that they desired after, the way it was for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden prior to the fall would actually take place. They longed for this as a people. As we begin to look past the wicked kings, we find that there's only one man who reigned perfectly. His name is Jesus. What I'd like to declare to you this morning, that there is a perfect king. His name is Jesus. This is our confession as a church, that Jesus is king. You may be new to the Christian faith or think you know something about it and have decided to reject what the Bible reveals about who God is and why Jesus is king. But I want to be very clear that we believe Jesus is king. Jesus did something that no earthly king could do, and that is completely and perfectly fulfill the law that God set up so that people could be counted as righteous. We know that he's a priest. He laid his life down as a sacrifice. But we also, also ought to understand that he is a king and he came declaring 
a message that went a little something like this. Repent, repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. Here's what this means. He talked a lot about the kingdom of God. It meant that God was going to rule in a new way. There was going to be a new kind of leadership on the earth. This leader, this leadership of God through Jesus was going to make peace with the king in the kingdom possible. Jesus is king. Jesus announced to people that the kingdom was at hand. It's here, it's now, in the person and the work of himself. His kingdom was not of this world, we read about in John 18, 36. Now keep in mind that people thought kings to be ultimately up to, or ultimately serving themselves. And even if they considered a king to be like a quasi-divine, I mean, like a demigod, they, they, they looked at kings as if, oh, these guys, they're just up for, their, up for themselves. They just want to serve themselves. But when Jesus came as king, he came differently because here's what he did. As a leader king, Jesus serves people to establish his kingdom. When Jesus came as king to set up his kingdom, he did not set up, up in such a way that people would be ruled over harshly. Instead, what he did was he set it up through sacrifice and through service and through laying his life down on a cross so that people might have their sins forgiven might be able to enjoy the king of kings. Did you know that the Bible teaches that through the cross, every person is invited to receive the kingdom, the presence of God? This happens through repentance and faith. There will be a day where every person will recognize that Jesus is king. I assure you, our Mission as a church is we're inviting busy people to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. And we believe that we're in this window of time between the time that Jesus came to the earth, died on the cross, and was raised from the dead. And there will be a day that he returns to judge and to set all things right. And we're in this window of time where we as a people get to declare that Jesus is king. That there will be a day when every person bows to Jesus as king. Some will bow under judgment, the Bible says. Romans chapter 14, verse 10. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. The Bible teaches that Jesus will be the judge. For it is written, as I, leave, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So that each of us will give an account of himself to God. There will be those that are judged by Jesus as king. God will see their sin and they'll suffer the consequences for it. But there are others, those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, who will stand before Jesus as king, and the king will say, yes, you are my child. We are at peace. Well done, good and faithful servant. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11 God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we know a little bit about the kings from the Old Testament. I've covered a lot of content in a very brief amount of time regarding the kings. But our real 
purpose in this time is to say to you that Jesus is the King of Kings. And though all of us have our little earthly kingdoms, we've got to decide whether or not we're going to submit to God as we lead and, and direct people's attention to God in our kingdoms. What really matters in this moment is do you bow before Jesus as King? Will you recognize Him as King? And if not, what kind of king do you follow? What kind of king will you follow if not Jesus?